Scott, our community pastor, straight from Texas, come and deliver the word. Give him a warm welcome. God bless you, man. Go for it. All right. If you will join me uh, in praying that the Lord will speak this morning, would you just raise your hand? If you'll just be praying through the sermon, let's just pray together right now. Lord Jesus, we invite you into this room. We ask you to uh, fill our minds with uh, your kingdom thoughts and your beauty. And I pray that the clutter of our life and the stresses of this life would just subside for this next few minutes, that we can hear your voice in the midst of this place. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, when I was working uh, with another uh, company, uh, the guy uh, who bought computers uh, for us was talking to the salesman at Mac Warehouse, and they'd become friends over a while, and, and he said, uh, Randall, I got to tell you this story that happened. I got a phone call yesterday from somebody, and they said, I want to, to, uh, to buy a, a new cup holder for my computer. And, and the salesperson was like, we don't sell cup holders. We sell computers and computer accessories. He said, I know, I know. I, I bought this from you. I bought this computer from you, and it came with a cup holder. And he's like, well, explain to me a little bit about this cup holder. And he said, well, it's on my tower computer, and I push a button at the top, and out comes this tray. <laughs> and it has a hole in the middle, and the cup fits right inside of it. And he said, I need another one. And he said, that's not a cup holder. That's a CD-ROM tray. It's like, oh, no wonder it broke. <laughs> you know, engineers, uh, they, they design pieces of equipment that have specific purposes and specific tasks. And if you don't use them correctly, they will break. In the same way, God designed us with intrinsic desires or intrinsic yearnings that are part of the purpose we are put on earth to fulfill. And if we don't listen to those yearnings, if we don't heed those desires, there are parts of us that will break. There are parts of us that won't work properly. We've been talking a little bit about Pat's life, or we've actually been talking a lot about Pat's life and the fragmentation that Pat lives in. If you remember the little diagram that we used, Pat, uh, and all the fragmentation, all the circles of relationships or commitments and things that goes on in Pat's life, whether it's a him or a her, we we're still unsure about that. But, uh, you know, Pat has pulled in all these different directions. And we've been talking in, in this kingdom journey about, you know, God has called us into this kingdom lifestyle, called us into this beautiful, uh, called us to display the beauty of the kingdom. But how we're pulled in so many different directions, we often find ourselves so stressed out that we don't have time for it. Now what do we do about addressing Pat's life? We need to find out some practical things or practical steps we can make to, to undermine what the world has bequeathed to us, what the enemy of our souls has given us. And last week we talked about uh, beginning to create space in our life for God because if we, when we do that, it meets one of the intrinsic yearnings that is basic to how we are designed by God. You see, we don't want to create a set of rules that says this is how you live the simple life. We want to help each other discover how God made us so that we can listen to how God made us. And when we do that, when we listen to our yearnings, we will start listening, we will start living differently. And I, last week we talked about this yearning we have to, to meet with God and to make space for God. And when we do that, it begins to, God begins to carve out a place in our lives that more and more beauty can manifest. 
This week we want to talk about a second yearning or a second desire that is intrinsic to our nature, and that is the yearning to belong, the yearning to connect with others. Think about the last time you sat around with some friends over a meal or around a table or in your living room or somebody else's living room, and you just laughed and talked and shared and told stories. Most likely you weren't in a hurry to get somewhere else. Life slowed down. You slowed down and you realized, I'm liking this. Psychologists tell us this, and I'm going to quote this for you because I think it's so powerful. Among people around the world, nourishing relationships are the single most universally agreed upon feature of the good life. While specifics vary from culture to culture, all people everywhere deem warm connections which each, with each other to be the core feature of optimal human experience. You see, God designed us with the basic desire, the basic yearning that is way down deep within us. We can't get rid of it. To connect with others, to, to belong to other people. We're going to show, in a few seconds, we're going to show some... Uh, 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 stills here, uh, uh, some pictures. And as, you, as, we do, as we show these, I want you to ask this question. What do all of these situations have in common? Now, the, not only do these have in common the fact that they're all were, were funny, and these are from classic sitcoms, but the reason I believe that they were classic sitcoms and became classic sitcoms is because they demonstrate to us the way we are made to connect to one another. We all have within us the desire to go into a place where everybody knows our name. Not just our name, but how we're designed, how we're made, and we're accepted, and we, there's a place of security. We long for friends who will be there for us. We long to just hang out and do nothing. If you're familiar with Seinfeld, that was what Seinfeld was supposedly about, was about nothing. We long to go through the difficult times like what happened, what, the difficult times on MASH. We, uh, we, we, we have this yearning within us saying, please, can I connect and belong to some other people? That is intrinsic to our nature. And see, what we don't, as we look at Pat's life and we look at how we change this, we don't want to just give you a, set, a list of things you can do so Pat can live in a better way and basically tweak this diagram. We're going to try to modify this diagram today and give us a new center to the diagram. You see, uh, uh, over the last few years, there's been this uh, a new field of brain research called uh, uh, social, uh, social neuroscience. And they found things that go on in our brain that when there are stimuli, when stimuli hits us from outside of our skin, from other people, there are things that go on, our, on in our biological makeup. In fact, it's the only part of our biology that is directly influenced by things that go on outside of our skin. Think about when you see someone smile, often you will respond with a smile. That's not because it's just some psychological thing going on. There's actually something chemically going on in our brains that causes that. They have found that uh, when you are repeated, have repeated exposure to nourishing relationships, you can actually refashion how your brain works. And likewise, as you are repeatedly exposed to harmful relationships, that too will shape your brain. And if you look at Pat's life, 
and how things go on here, this frenetic fragmentation can also reshape your brain. Now, some of you are like a, uh, someone I uh, talked to a couple of weeks ago from the Focus Ministry, and they did this diagram, and they had 40 different circles in their diagram. And you, or some of you are like that, and you feel like, wow, I'm so overwhelmed. Others of you may be looking at this going, well, I don't have that many circles. I'm not pulled in so many directions. And if you're in that, that situation, great. But I think there's something for here, here for you too, because it's not just about our circles and how they pull us. It's about our investment in those circles. And we'll be talking about more of this in a few minutes. Jesus understood the need for belonging. He understood the need for connecting to one another. Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, in today's world, we, we throw around the word love in a lot of different ways. I love chocolate. I love my wife. I love my children. I love cool cars, or I love a really fast computer, or I love my favorite singer, whatever that may You might love a movie, or whatever it is. We throw that word love around in very, a multitude of ways, but Jesus is using the word love or agape in a very specific way. He's talking about sacrificing for the good of the other person. In fact, he uses this in a very specific context where he says, love as I have just loved you. And he just washed their feet. He served them. And in the first century context, becoming a servant like that and, and, and is, mean, is saying, I elevate you to being a higher value than I see myself. I, I'm, I'm serving you to where I value you. Now, this concept of love has been taught on in the church for, since the beginning of the church. Jesus taught on this 2,000 years ago, and we've tried to apply that to our lives. But if Pat tries to apply that to Pat's life and says, well, I've got all these circles, and I don't even know what's going on in these individuals' lives. How can I really serve them? How can I give my life for them? Because I don't, I don't really know what's going on. And there's a desire to love them and give that agape to all these people and do the best that Pat can. But where are those people that can, she can or he can really invest in? The context of Jesus' uh, words to the disciples are very, is very specific. He's speaking to 11 disciples at this point because Judas had already left to betray him. You see, he's not speaking to the masses. He's speaking to a very specific group because he realizes that unless this group of myth, misfits, because they were, I mean, here was this group of people who didn't necessarily like one another at times, and they, they weren't natural friends in some ways. But he said, unless you learn to love one another, you're not going to manifest the kingdom. Unless in this room you start displaying a radical kind of love, how do you expect to show my love to other people? Unless you start loving the people that you know, the people that are close to you, how can you share my love with the people that you don't know? He says there, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And there's a principle here that calls us to love each other in, a, in some radical ways, in some focused ways, that allows us to display the kingdom to the rest of the world. And if we don't do that, if we don't belong to one another at that level... Displaying the kingdom to the rest of the world becomes a struggle, becomes work. Here at Woodland Hills Church, we talk about 
love in some very specific ways using some very specific language, we use a word called covenant. Now, I don't carry around um, in my normal uh, language that I speak every day, and I don't use the word covenant all that much. It's not something that I normally pull out of my everyday dictionary. So I think it's important for us, if we're going to enter into this agape love that Jesus is talking about here, to understand covenant and as it specifically applies to us as a church. This is a covenant that has, this word covenant has a, a deep history in the life of our church. And because I've only been here about 14, 15 months, I'd like to have someone in, help us talk a little bit about this and where this comes from and why it's so important to our church who's been around a little bit. And because Greg Boyd has been here since the beginning, I'd like to invite Greg up. Greg, yeah, let's give Greg a hand. Thank you very much. So, Greg, can you let us know, fill us in on what covenant means and why it's so important to us here at Woodland Hills? The word covenant. Um, the word is, it, it, the essence of the concept of covenant is uh, a relationship with understanding or agape love with understanding, or some have said formalized love, where you just get explicit what the terms of your relationship are. You, you know where you stand. Mm by stipulating uh, what you pledge towards another person and what you can expect from another person. And it's really a foundational concept uh, throughout the whole Bible. Uh, God's relationship with us is described in covenantal terms. Our relationship with one another is described in covenantal terms. What we call the Old Testament is really uh, the Old Covenant. The word means covenant. Mm -hmm. And the New Testament is the new, uh, the, the new Covenant. So we want to recover this concept of covenant and bring it into our church life. And that's what we call covenant groups, covenant groups, and things of that sort. So how is covenant different than, like, say, a contract? Because that is some formal, formalization to a contract. Yeah, they're worlds apart, um, and they're often confused because people today are a lot more familiar with contracts than they are covenants. A, a contract is a quid pro quo arrangement, uh, like buying a car or you know, mortgaging your house or whatever. But a contract is, it's not, it's between us, okay? Mm. There's this agreement okay. between us. You're over there, I'm over here, and between us is this contract, whereas a covenant is, is uh, uh, amidst us. Uh, the covenant is it's part of my definition now. I'm pledging myself to you. You're pledging yourself to me, and, and it sets the terms of our relationship, whereas the contract doesn't involve any relationship really at all. Okay. So how does covenant help facilitate this sense of belonging? Covenant uh, is crucial to a sense of belonging mainly because it lets you know where you stand. Uh, in, in our culture, um, we... In fact, most of our relationships are foggy. We're not sure where we stand. Uh, I'm sure this has happened to you. It's happened to me where, you know, you expect something from somebody, but then it's, it's, they do something or say something where it's really clear that they're not as invested in you as you are in them. And, and, and what happens is we end up pouring a lot of energy into these foggy, ambiguous relationships. Uh, we had to end, end up having a lot of relationships. 90% of our emotional time and energy uh, is going into, you know, the, these, these uh, more acquaintance relationships. Um, which really don't pay off on a deep level. And then in the meantime, the significant relationships in our life are really getting shortchanged. Covenant lets you know where you stand. It brings clarity to things. Uh, so, you know, you know, and then there's a sense of us-ness, a buy-in, whatever level is appropriate for the relationship. So, for example, in my covenant group, uh, whom I love just very, very, very dearly, we have an understanding, um, a covenant with one another that we're going to do life together. Uh, we're, we're covenanted that if, if, if any of our marriages tank, 
and, and all of them have at some point, uh, then the rest of the group's there to, you know, to, to help us work through it. Or when your kids are going through those nasty teenage years, uh, we're there for one another, and we're there to help out, you know, fixing in houses and working through issues. And if someone loses their job, this has happened. We're covenanted that we're going to support, you know, them. And so it gives you a real sense of belonging. You know where you stand mm. and, and, and what you can expect and what you're pledging towards another. Now, two things seem pretty radical about this. One is that you actually talk about where your relationships stand. Our culture doesn't seem to do that very much. And the second yeah. thing is that you're, it's, you can't, what you're talking about is you, this is a, these covenant relationships seem to be very focused in orientation. That, in other words, they're not just with everyone. There's a specific right, right. group sure, in orientation. Sure. So how do those, two, do those two things apply to this fragmentation? That the fragmented pat issue. Yes. Um, Here's the thing is that, that, you know, we are called to have agape love towards all people at all times, no ifs, ands, and buts, even our enemies. But that doesn't mean, obviously, that we can be equally invested in all people at all times. I, I've only got one person that I relate to as my wife, and th thankfully, that's my wife. And, and I, I have, uh, uh, that's a good <laughs> uh, and, and uh, you know, I, the, the amount of time and energy I put into my small group, I, I couldn't possibly do that with more than just, you know, a handful of, of, of people. Um, and if we don't have that understanding, that's where packets fragmented. You see, all, there's all these relationships, all have, you know, major expectations. And then Pat begins to feel disappointed because there's not clarity in these relationships and they want more of, of him or her. And, and so you get pulled in different directions. What I find, Scott, is this. If, if we all need to have uh, covenantal relationships, which is love with understanding, about who, the, who, who our core people are going to be. Jesus had three that were really in his inner circle, and then he had 12 that were slightly farther out in his inner circle. Then he had a bunch of people who supported him, Mary and Martha and whatever, and they were closer to him than the masses, but they weren't as close as the disciples. And then there were all the acquaintances. And our time should be proportionally distributed based on, on the, the level of commitment of the mm -hmm. relationship. I think we've really got to learn how to think, and this is really important, think quality, not quantity, mm -hmm. in terms of relationship. And when you have quality relationships that you, that you covenant with and you say, here, we're going to do life together, by having a strong center, it organizes the rest of your life. It's like several weeks ago, I, of course, am an expert on design, as you know. And uh, uh, we talked about how if you're going to make a room beautiful, you need to first define the center. What's the center of this room? What's the first thing you want people's eye to go to? And once you get the center, now things begin you know, kind of get into focus where, the, where everything else should be placed. It's the same thing with our relationships. When you, when you get your family and then your covenant group, your, your inner circle uh, group together, and make that a strong center, this is going to require this level of commitment. Well, then, then it becomes clear how much time you have to spend in other areas and, and, and what level of relationship is appropriate there. But you've got to start with the center. The other thing I'll say is this, is that by having people in on your life who know you, uh, who understand your issues, uh, you know, th th it gives them a wisdom because they know how your life's operating, it gives them a wisdom to speak into your life. And we all have got blind spots, and we need people who can speak into our life, even when it comes to organizing our life. And so in my small group, there are people who will say, you know, Greg, um, is this really the way you want to be spending your time? Should you be spending so much energy and emotion over here? Uh, are you shortchanging Shelly and the family a little bit by, by being too invested over there? And I need that, and I think we all do. We need... So in other words... Even the, the process of, of, of bringing a beautiful harmony to our, our life shouldn't be done in solitude. We need others on the inside of that whole process. That's really good. Sound Barry. good? That's right. great. You're God a bless good you. preacher. Preach it, man. All right.
Now, this is just a really quick introduction into covenant, and I would encourage you to consider attending our Discover Covenant Relationships class that's going to be held December 2nd. We do this periodically. It's an important uh, concept around here. And if you haven't attended this, I think it would help you understand the way covenant applies to your life and the way it applies to us as a church and how we can participate in the kingdom. Now, Greg was talking a little bit about this diagram and how we can reorganize our lives a little bit. And I want to introduce to, uh, you to a, an image that can help us organize our relationships and, and so we can bring some clarity to what's going on. Think of a house. And think specifically about this house. In fact, you could buy that house because it looks like there's a fail, for sale sign there. But think about a house and, the, and use the different spaces of this house as a kind of an image for the spaces in your life. Or the spaces in, in and to the spaces in your heart. Think about front yard relationships. These are those acquaintances that you have that you, you may, have, may or may not have seen their face, but you just wave at them and... You, you, you go all about your merry way. You don't really know them. They don't know you, but you know they live in the neighborhood. And we have these kinds of relationships in our lives. We have, a lot of us have lots of these kinds of relationships in our lives. Then there are those front porch relationships. These are people that you know, you know their name, but you don't know each other. You know a little bit about them. You may work with them. You may be a salesperson and they're one of your clients. Uh, you may know aspects of their life, but you don't know them. You don't know their family. Uh, you may talk with one another in their garage, or, uh, but you don't go into their house. They don't come into your house. You don't feel that kind of relationship and connection with them. Pat's life is defined by front porch relationships and front yard relationships. And it really isn't dependent upon how many circles Pat has or how many circles you have. You could have three circles. And your life could still be defined by front porch and front yard relationships. Because your, your, your other circles could be filled up with television, the web, um, work, whatever it might be. It's just that what we're saying here is it's not just about the number of circles. It has to do with the depth of your circles and is there a center to your circles. Continuing on with the image of the house... If you were to enter into the house, you would say that you might have living room relationships. And these are those relationships in your life that are kind of in between. They're not surface relationships, but you, you know one another better, but you wouldn't consider them confidants. You don't share your intimate needs with them or intimate desires. You're kind of seeing, are we going to be friends? Or is this a person that I can trust? And it's that in-between land. That's a living room relationship. They might come into the house of your heart or physically into your house. You might have coffee for a few minutes, and then you go about your merry way. Then you have den relationships. Den relationships are those people who come into your life, they kick off their shoes and, and plop them on a coffee table after having moved it. <laughs> and you don't care. They, they, not only do they come into your physical house sometimes this way, but they come into your heart there. They have permission to come into your heart to this level. And as Greg was talking about this, and he's talking about his covenant group, that, you know, you can't have more than 10 or 12 people at that level. Then you have a, a, a last group of people, which would be the, the uh, fifth group, that I call refrigerator rights relationships. <laughs> These are the people who come into your house, open the refrigerator, oh, while you're still taking a shower, eat the last piece of pie, and you come out and going, I was about to eat that. And you bop them on the head or whatever you do. You, know, you, you kind of 
uh, you know one another that well, and there's a sense of free-flowing out of in, in and out of one another's lives. Now, don't get caught up on the image. You might say, I don't do that with my house. I'm saying, that's not the, it's not about the refrigerator. It's about your heart. And most likely, you're only going to have two or three people in your life right now that have the permission to come into that level of your heart. You can't have that kind of interaction with people with all, the, all of your circles and what's going on there. there. There are different levels of connectivity that you would have. In fact, we want to redraw Pat's circles. And if we could do this this way, and we want to create a new center. And say, we need covenant relationships in our lives that begin to reshape the rest of our life. We cannot reshape this crazy, frenetic, fragmented life by ourselves. There's a, a, a person who works on my team, and uh, this, uh, she's always answering email 24-7. And I could always, you know, re quick responses to email. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, quick check email. And she told me this week, uh, she said, I'm committed to on my days off, which are Friday and Saturday, to not check my email. And not only that, there are two people that I've covenanted with that are going to hold me accountable. Because we cannot change this way of living because it's, the Bible tells us, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world. This is a pattern of the world that, we have, that has been bequeathed to us, that has been given to us. And we've accepted it as normal for most, most of us have. And to change this by ourselves is just unrealistic. I can't change these patterns and force this change upon my life unless I have help. And therefore, the need for a new center in my life, and I would say the way God moves many times in this world is through other people who become Jesus with skin on. And you and I need people who act and live in our lives in this way. And that's where covenant relationships come into play. Now, this is a radical countercultural vision. This isn't something that we necessarily say, oh, I know how to do that. Now, a lot of you in this room may think, oh, I know how to do this. I've been doing this for a few years in my covenant group, or I've done this previously, and I know what this is about. Great. But I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, okay, now that you pointed out the problem in this series, what do I do about it? What, what is the alternative? And uh, there was a movie a few years ago uh, with Bill Murray called What About Bob? And they talked about baby steps. He talked about entering in, you know, the, the psychologist that he drove mad in the movie uh, talked about, had, had published a book in the movie called Baby Steps or something like that and talked about easing our way into things. Uh, entering into the covenant relationship thing and doing this isn't something we dive off the high dive into. In fact, many times a lot of the pain that we may experience from previous relationship has resulted from the fact there have been, we've dove in too quickly into relationships and there hasn't been this clarity that Greg talked about a few minutes ago with regard to covenant. So what I want to do right now is talk about a few baby steps that we can make. How can we enter into this or step into covenant belonging without forcing it on ourselves or other people? Because when you force something, we often miss the rhythm that God brings into our lives. So I'd like to introduce four baby steps, if you will. And, and for some of you, these will be advanced steps. Uh, but, and I hope for a lot of you, 
Uh, but these are little steps that we can take. And as we add these steps on top of one another, I think we can make huge advancements into restructuring our lives. And I'd like, I think it'd be a good idea if you have a pen and paper to write these down and, and then begin to pray over them. What is God speaking to you about these four ideas? First thing I'd like to introduce is the step of identifying previous disappointments with belonging. Each one of us have had experiences in other relationships where we've been disappointed. You've been through situations where you had expectations about someone who was committed to you and they let you down. This could have been a, uh, an authority figure like a parent who didn't stick around when they were supposed to or someone who was committed to you as a friend and they passed away or, and died or something happened and you became very disappointed and it, you caused part of your heart to shut down. You could have just been rejected in previous situations and you, because of, you, weren't, you didn't get to hang out with the right crowd in high school or whatever it could be. You just said, but I'm not going to, I tried that, I did that, I'm not going to go back there. Others of you in this room have, have said, you know, I've been a part of a covenant group or a small group in a previous church and it just didn't work out for me. Those people didn't take baths. Or whatever stupid thing you come up with. That, that, you know, it's just like we, we make up excuses why we don't like people. And we, well, sometimes they're valid, sometimes they're not. Sometimes we just think, well, they were just boring and I didn't connect with them. To other people, they could have been the most exciting people in the world, but that you just didn't work for you. And you were disappointed by it. And, and as a result, you're kind of saying, nope, not going to go back into that covenant thing. I won't go that level. I'll keep everything at arm's length. I'll keep pushing it out there. Other people in this room saying, well, this doesn't apply. This principle, this point doesn't apply to me because I'm in a covenant group right now. And I, or I'm in a short-term group right now. But I'm, again, I'm not talking about just what you're doing. I'm talking about our hearts. What in our hearts, what past disappointment or hurt might keep us from entering in and stepping further into covenant commitment with one another? Where we really say, I'm, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to see where this takes me and really see how God might restructure our lives and I might get some friends out of this. It takes a commitment to do that. But we've all got baggage. We've all got hurts. We're all broken. And right now, I bet in this room, God, the Spirit of God is speaking and beginning to speak about this to you in very specific ways about some hurts or disappointments that might keep you from entering into a, a more of a sense of covenant belonging. I want you to listen to that for a second. In fact, I want to pray for you that God would speak to you right now in the middle of the sermon, not wait till the end. What would God say to you right now? God, I pray that you bring to mind hurts, bring to mind disappointments, things that you want to heal so that we can enter into covenant belonging. So that we can go to places and live in this world the way you have designed us to live. Reveal those things in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you if, you, if God is speaking to you about that and you'd like prayer, to come forward at the end of the service. And there will be teams up here to pray for you. If, and even if you are here today and you say, well, my blockage is I don't know Jesus. I don't know who Jesus is. And I, I kind of need to figure that out first. There'll be people at the table over here at the Next Steps table that would be glad to pray with you at the end of the service and, and open that door so that you can belong in a greater sense. This first step I've called identifying previous disappointments. The second step 
that I'm, and these are not in any order. They're just what I chose to do them in. You don't have to do these in chronological order. Um, the second one is recognize what is already present. Recognize what is already present. What I'd like for you to do is to get out a piece of paper, go home this afternoon in the midst of the football games or whatever you do on Sunday afternoon, pull out a, a piece of paper and just write down who are the close friends in my life or people that I consider somewhat close. Maybe they're not in your den or even in your kitchen, but maybe they're in the living room. And you say, I'd kind of like to get to know that person better. You know, what, who are these people? And I'm not talking about people who live in New Zealand or even live in Louisiana. I'm talking about people that you relate to and you see, people that you interact with. And, and just begin to make a little list and see what, what's already happening in your life and see what God is doing there. Who is God bringing into your life that could possibly serve as a, 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 a set or a pe group of people that you might enter into covenant relationships with? Then, if you're married, ask see if your spouse will do the same thing and then compare your lists. Because if you want to know me, you also need to get to know Shauna a little bit. Because we're kind of connected. We're married. I mean, it, you, it, I, or else, if you don't do that, I can fake you out. I know how to put on masks. I know how to play roles. That's what, that's what Pat's life teaches us to do. We put on this role, face over here and this face over here, if I'm going to live in covenant relationships with you, I, I need to enter into more of your life than just you because our lives are people, not just individuals. So if there's more, the more overlap you have, the easier it is to enter into a sense of cohesiveness and simplicity around our, our relationships. Also, with regard to recognizing what's already going on in your life, what God's already doing in your life, just look at where you're planted because the way this world is wired, it tells us to never get planted. Uproot is the thing to do. I had a, a friend a few years ago uh, at a previous church come and say, he, he worked for Sprint. He's one of these computer programmers that does all kinds of freaky stuff that I have no idea what it is. And uh, he'd try to explain it to me, and i just sit there and go, huh? And uh, he said... They want to transfer me and promote me to a job at the headquarters in, I think it was Kansas City. I was like, oh, wow, that's great. And we usually think of that, such things as, that's a blessing of God. We just assume that's a blessing of God. But he's saying, you know, I don't know what to do. I, I, just, I need God's direction here. I was like, okay, well, let's just talk about this a little bit. And he was excited and honored by the opportunity. And I said, well, let's think about this in another way. You've been rooted in this church for a few years. In this place, you have friends. Your wife is rooted. You've been kind of church hopping and going in different directions for the last few years and never found a sense of belonging. And your kids have friends. There's a, people that have loved you and you've entered into covenant relationships with. Is it possible that that's more important than money in a promotion? I don't know. Let me just throw out the question. I'm not going to tell you what to do because if, he said also in this same conversation that if he stayed in, in Houston, uh, he could probably lose his job because they were doing away with his job there. I'm like, well, you know, you need to pray about this. Well, he chose to stay and he lost his job. They did away with his job. And for about three or four weeks, he didn't have one. And they rehired him in another position in a different department. And it, 
you know, that, that's a good thing in that situation. And it doesn't always happen that way. But he made a hard choice because he's saying, my wife is more important than my job. My kids are more important than getting more money. Those are some tough decisions to make. And whatever, wherever you are socioeconomically, those are tough decisions to make. Because the world tells us that is how you def we define our success. And he made some hard choices. And we have to, because he saw God at work in his life in a different way. He saw God moving in his life and he got a new, a new view of it. And I encourage you to seek God as to what he's already doing in the midst of your life. The third thing I'd like to encourage you to consider is to create boundaries for relationships. Create boundaries in your life for relationships. Let me give you a couple of examples about this. A survey was done a few years ago on American vacationers. 34% of American vacationers check their email while on vacation. Now, for those of you who are snickering, you know what this means. There's probably 34% of you who do too. And, and as, as a part of this survey, they said many of these same people come home more stressed out after vacation than they were while on vacation. What is the point? What is the point? Technology was, uh, uh, in the 50s and 60s, the U.S. government was telling us that technology was going to create a two- or three-day work week. Sometime during the 70s, they quit talking like that. Because what we realized was that technology is not going to shorten our work week. It actually extends our work week, and we can take it home with us. So we do check our email first thing in the morning and the last thing at night. Or we, we turn off the lights in every room but the office. And instead of spending some time talking before we go to bed or reading the kids a book or just interacting with one another or having, playing games or whatever, the email is, the computer sitting in the corner saying, Hey, talk to me. Talk to me. They found that for every hour you and I spend on the web, we spend an, an, an extra 24 minutes not with people. So in other words, it steals an hour and 24 minutes from interacting with people. Now, I'm not against the web and the email and all that kind of stuff. I use them. I like them. I love Amazon.com uh, and all kinds of stuff. But listen... We need boundaries. These are good things, but let's, let's, let's not let the good, some of the good things that we have overrun us. And we draw some boundaries around your life and say, this is my relationship time. Some people have said, after 6 o'clock, I don't work, period. We relate. We talk. We hang out. We do some things. We, we, we do friendship things. And we make room in our life for relationships. Create boundaries in your, in your life and, and you will see the beautiful life begin to manifest and you'll see the desire for more relationality. And it is countercultural, and it is something that's a challenge, but I think it's something that will help us on this journey. The last thing I want to share with you as a practical way to step into covenant belonging is to move slowly into covenant belonging. Move slowly into covenant belonging. We, to use the analogy of the house, you don't jump from the front yard into someone's refrigerator. 
That's a little threatening. You don't say, oh, I want to be your friend. Let's enter into covenant. Boom, we're there. I'm like, well, it's not football. You don't just jump in there and bust through the line and say, we're going to be friends and force that kind of belonging. Relationships work in such a way where you warm up to one another. And again, I want to reiterate the fact that sometimes the reason we do carry hurt with regard to previous relationships is because we have jumped in too far too quickly. And the expectations were not clarified. And you went in thinking, well, why do I always call and pursue and they never call me? Because those, we, we moved too quickly and we didn't clarify the expectations that are there and understand one another. And that is something that we, we, we can do as we move slowly. But if we don't learn to move slowly into these things, we move too quickly. And then we often commit to too many people and we can't keep those commitments. Covenant relationships should be selective. You're talking about the inner circle in three. You only have three refrigerator rights. At the, you know, you, if you have that, be grateful. Most people don't have any. Covenant relationships, if you have ten, be grateful. Where you have that people that live in the den of our lives. Be realistic about what you can do because you can't have more than that. Be selective and clarify your expectations. And when you do that, covenant will come to life. I was reading a Jewish rabbi this week on covenant keeping and what it means in their culture. And he talked about the marriage ceremony and how they celebrate the marriage ceremony afterwards. And one of the things they, one of the things they do is they take a glass and they put it in a, a, a napkin, a cloth napkin, and they throw it down on the ground and they stomp on it. And he said, and he talked about it to him, that symbolizes the brokenness which these two people are have as individuals, and they bring those, that brokenness into the marriage. Now, during the marriage, it's all elation and excitement, but he said then reality hits, and the brokenness is revealed. He said the covenant is the napkin because it keeps the glass together. As we learn to covenant with one another and how God is leading us to covenant with one another, we discover that sometimes when our brokenness is revealed because we all carry it, the only thing that keeps us together is the covenant. Our desire and our willingness and our yearning to belong to each other. When we listen to that, beauty starts to manifest, begins to blossom in greater ways, and the kingdom is put on display for this world. Jesus, I pray that you, as the king, would manifest your beauty as we keep covenant with one another. Show us how to move into these rhythms. Show us how to undermine the patterns of this world and, and be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we are reshaped by relating to one another. God, bring forth your glory. Bring forth your kingdom as we seek you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Feel free to come forward for prayer, or if you want to receive the Lord, there'll be someone at the table over here if you're a first-time believer. In Jesus' name, amen.